Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. The title of the message today is Criticism, Give Well, Take Well, Pray Well. Give well, take well, pray well. Last week, Pastor Dan preached about um, the power of words and how the power of life and death is in the tongue. It's so important how we use our words. And today we're continuing our, our Words with Friends series with a message about criticism. You know, I'm guessing, I'm doing a ballpark statistic here, that about 90, 95% of all criticism comes in the form of words. Okay? Criticism is necessary and it's messy. I tried to come up with a cool way to like make that rhyme. Criticism is necessary and necessary, but that doesn't make any sense. But now you'll remember it. It's something that we all deal with every day. Whether it's at home, at work, at school, we all have criticism in our life, but you need to know this. A lack of criticism leads to a lack of growth. And oftentimes we like to avoid criticism. And oftentimes, a lack of criticism could leave, lead, lead to even an explosion. For instance, we've all heard about those marriages or maybe even been a part of one where criticism was just so hard and so messy that we just stopped doing it and bottled it all up. And sure enough, it shakes up and begins to explode and hurt people. And that's not good. That's not a good approach. It doesn't mean it's not hard, but that's not the way to go. Giving it well and taking it well are very, very difficult things to do. Amen? But I'll be the first to tell you today that this is something that I struggle with every day. This topic, this is probably one of the hardest messages I've ever had to prepare because I just want to be honest with you. I am not good at this. Criticism is very hard for me to deal with, to give it well and to take it well. Um, and I just want to tell you that because there's oftentimes a, a perception that if you stand right where I'm standing and have this pulpit right here, that you have everything together, your life is perfect, everybody else should just be like you. And nothing could be further from the truth, okay? I'm deeply flawed. And there's probably a number of you in this room that are a lot better at criticism than I am. But I want to tell you that because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Okay, and, and really I want to level the playing field here. I'm going to be preaching more out of some of my weaknesses than my strengths. Definitely, I, I have very little wins in this topic. But the good news this morning is that we can do it well, and the Bible teaches us how to do that. We know that some people in our lives will never give up criticizing you, even when they're wrong. Especially when you're doing something important for God. And here's the deal. You can either let that destroy you, Or you can do what the Bible says and pray for your critics and therefore receive the blessing of God in your life. We need to know how to give it, how to take it, and how to pray for those who wrongly criticize us. So we're going to look and spend most of the time today in the book of Job. You can open that up. That's in the Old Testament, the book of Job. Super long book. I'm going to basically summarize the whole thing um, because it's 42 chapters long. We don't have time to read it, but we're going to read a lot out of it. And we'll skip around to some other scriptures too, but I would encourage you just for the sake of ease to stay in the book of Job. Everything's going to be on the screen and those other scriptures that we bounce to, you don't have to turn to them. You just make a note and just keep, keep it easy because we're going to do a lot of Job, okay? So here's a quick, quick little summary of who Job is. Job um, was a, a man who was called upright and blameless by God. That's what God said. You are upright and blameless. I would love if God said that about me. That's a great title. And the people around him said that he was the greatest man of all the people in the East. That's a, that's a rad title. That is a serious title. This guy's got it going on. And he had, just so you know, he had 10 kids. He had, let me see my notes so I can be accurate. Um, he had over 10,000 livestock and a large number of servants. He was super rich. 
He was rich relationally with his family, materially, had this big business and empire with employers and money and livestock, and he was rich spiritually in his relationship with God. And what happens is God allows Satan to strike everything that he has to see if Job would curse God or not. And so Job loses it all. He literally loses everything. His, all his livestock die, all his servants are murdered, and even worse than all of that, his ten children are murdered. Like that. And we're going to pick up, oh, I forgot, even worse than all of that, not worse, but on top of all of that, he gets sick. He gets sores all over his body, and he's super sick, and it's just like, the, it could not get worse. And so we're going to pick up in Job chapter 1, verse 20, and see how Job responds. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. Just pause and think about the ramifications of that. I will preach that message at another time. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be praised. I love this. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now skip to chapter 2. Somebody's going to speak up. Chapter 2, verse 9. His wife says to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, babe. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Thanks, babe. Love you. He He didn't say that. That's what I said. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Here we see the first criticism of Job from none other than his very own wife. Curse God and die. Talk about kicking a guy when he's down, you know? It couldn't have got any worse until you spoke up. (laughs) Have you ever had that person in your life? That had the worst thing to say at the worst time. That's what his wife does. Then he has friends, and they show up. Three friends, they heard what he was going through and decided to come spend some time with them, sympathize, comfort, sound like good friends, good guys. But what transpires is far from comforting. Listen, for the next 28 chapters, his friends proceed to try and convince Job that he's suffering because he's a sinner. And the more that Job pleads his innocence, the more they interrupt and criticize. You ever been in that conversation with somebody where you're like, they're like, hey, what's going on? Well, I did this, this. Well, I think you were wrong because you sinned. Well, I didn't sin. No, I don't want to hear that. You're sin. Dude, it's just everything's falling apart. No, your kids died because you're a sinner. The more that he tried to plead his innocence, the more they interrupt and criticize. They didn't actually listen to what he's saying, but they're determined to communicate their agenda of criticism. Remember, Job is upright and blameless. This has nothing to do with sin. Which brings us to our first point. How to take criticism well. I'm sure you can all relate to that situation where the, the criticism is on and you got a deal. One thing that you can do and you need to do when people are criticizing you is you need to consider the source. Consider the source of who's giving you this feedback. Are they trustworthy or not? Do they love you or not? 
And you know what? People can give you, who, who love you, can give you hard feedback. It's okay. But sometimes it can be so heated and so angry that they say a lot of extra stuff. And so we also need to make sure that we look for what's actually true in what they're saying and hold on to that and throw away the rest. Right? You get some, some people just get fixated on words and, and throw it all out. You know, saying throw the baby out with the bathwater, you can't do that. You have to hold on to what's actually true. But really consider the source too. It's very important. Criticism of success often comes from insecurity and jealousy. And you know that while you're considering the source. Job was an extremely successful person, right? Materially, um, relationally, spiritually. He was the man. And that kind of success attracts criticism from others who may say that they're your friends, but really they're just jealous of you and they secretly want to see you fail. You need to consider the source. Stay in Job, and we're going to look at Proverbs 27, verse 6. Just make a note. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. There are people in my life who are allowed to bring criticism to me. My friends, my wife, my pastor. Because I know that they love me and they want me to actually grow. But it still hurts. It's still a wound. You know that scar tissue is stronger than regular tissue. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The three three friends of Job were not really friends at all. A real friend would criticize constructively, but your enemy criticizes destructively to destroy you. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Judas who was one of the 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, betrayed him with what? A kiss. Kisses look good. They represent love. They feel good. Rabbi, I brought some people to kill you. Consider the source. Proverbs 26, verse 4. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. So in other words, when someone's bringing you foolish criticism, you're considering the source, and you're like, this is foolish. That's just not right. That's not true. It says, consider that. Don't answer him, or you'll, you'll be just like him. Don't, get, don't stoop down to his level, because he's just playing around in the mud, and you're going to get muddy if you do that. But the very next verse says, answer a fool, according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, so, okay, so I'm not supposed to answer him because then I'll get down to his level, but then again, if I don't say anything, then he'll be right. He'll think he's right. It seems like it's contradictory, but reality is, what he's trying to tell you is that when when you're arguing with a fool, you just can't win. You can't. There's nothing you could, you're just always gonna lose. It's foolish. And so you need to consider that when they're bringing that foolish argument. Now, in my life, I've made this mistake. As I said, I'm not very good at this. And I've made that mistake of not considering the source and, and kind of engaging the criticism, getting down in the mud. So for, you know, there's the people in your life when you walk outside and you're like, oh man, the sky's blue today. And I'm like, no, it's not, it's purple. And okay, you know, I guess I can see how it's purple. No, it's blue. Like, oh my gosh. You know, it's like annoying. That's foolish. That's a foolish argument. 
I had that person, I've had a number of those people, just being the nature of this position has a lot of criticism, okay, and, and a lot of it's good, but a lot of it's foolish too, and so somebody would come and say, Matt, I don't like how you're doing this, 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 and this, okay, I'll change this, this, and this, no, I don't like it, now change it back, and, it's, and it got bad, and it got emotional, and, and some things were said that crossed the line, it hurt my feelings, questioned my integrity and my character, and uh, Silly things, you know, like just how we do certain things that have nothing to do with integrity or character. And it crossed the line. Well, later he called back and said, hey, I just want to apologize. I shouldn't have said that. You know, I crossed the line and I'm sorry. And I said, oh, man, that's awesome. Thank you, bro. That means a lot to me. You have my forgiveness. And uh, I just want to say thank you for saying I'm sorry. Because I know that can be really hard. And he goes, that's not hard. It's not hard when you're obeying God. (laughs) You know. Click. This is foolish. I'm just trying to get some common ground, right? But it's just foolish. It just keeps getting muddy. Instead of realizing this is foolish behavior and letting it go, I argue harder, try to change the person's attitude. Ultimately, we can all relate to this. It ended up in a broken relationship. And in retrospect, it was not worth losing a relationship over a silly topic, right? Consider the source means that we need to know if the person criticizing us is doing so in order to help you grow and get better or are they criticizing in order to destroy you? The answer to that question will help you sort out which criticism to take and which to discard. Here's a positive example of somebody who, who did it well. Somebody would come to me who is a trusted source who I know has my best interest in, in their heart and they say, Matt, you know, sometimes you get really passionate and I love that passion about you but when you get passionate about certain things, sometimes you rub people a little bit the wrong way. You're kind of rough around the edges and I know that's not your heart, Matt. I know you love people and you just want them to get as passionate as you and so I just want to give you that feedback so you can grow and get better so people don't get rubbed the wrong way and that they do join you in your passion. Oh, that's great feedback. You know what? It hurt. I don't want to hear that. I'm a pastor. I don't want to hear that I rub people the wrong way. I love people. Jesus loves people, so I love people. But I'm so thankful that that trusted source gave, that's truth right there. You don't throw that away. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Even though it's a wound, you got to hold on to that. you got to apply that to your life. And here we're going to see, if you skip now to Job 16, a couple chapters up, we're going to see that Job, starting to figure this out. Like I said, 28 chapters of criticism that really wasn't founded. Job in chapter uh, chapter 16, verse 1, says to his friends, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you? What is your problem that you keep on arguing? I could speak like you. I could make these long-winded speeches and shake my head at you. But listen, I'm your friend, so when I do it, it would encourage you. Comfort would come from my lips and bring you relief. Job has realized here that his friends are not offering constructive criticism and are therefore not a healthy source. After listening to their arguments, he realizes there's nothing true in it and throws it all away. I don't want to hear it. And he also kind of gives us an outline. Listen, he says that their words should have been encouraging, comforting, and relieving if they were a trustworthy source. So, this is all going down for a long time. And then this guy shows up whose name is Elihu. Everyone say Elihu. Elihu! That's a cool name. Elihu has been sitting on the side paying attention to all this, seeing this go down. And we're going to skip, like I said, a long way. Skip up to chapter 32. That's how long they were criticizing him. 
Tell him he's, he's suffering because of his sin. In chapter 32, verse 1, it says, So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But Elihu, son of Barakah, Labuzai, the family of Ram, became very angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. It's a key point. He was also angry, angry with the three friends because they had found no way to refute Job, and yet they still condemned him. Like, hey, stop, you guys. Now Elihu had waited before speaking to Job because they were older than he. But when he saw that the three men had nothing more to say, his anger was aroused. Verse 6, Elihu speaks up. I am young in years. You are old. That is why I was fearful, not daring to tell you what I know. I thought age should speak. Advanced years should teach wisdom. But it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty that gives them understanding. It is not only the old who are wise, not only the age to understand what is right. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I too will tell you what I know. Elihu is approaching Job completely different than his other friends. He's assuring Job that he's here to help and not destroy. That's so important. Verse 11, I waited while you spoke. I listened to your reasoning while you were searching for words. I gave you my full attention. But not one of you has proved Job wrong. None of you has answered his arguments. Don't say we found wisdom. Let God, not a man, refute him. But Job has not marshaled his words against me, and I will not answer him with your arguments. I'm here to defend Job because what you did was wrong. You guys need to be quiet, man. That's not cool. I thought you were friends. Now he has Job's attention. Unfortunately, though, in all the arguing and the bad criticism of the last 28 chapters, Job revealed something that was not right, and Elihu is going to give the criticism well. Which brings us to our next point. How to give criticism well. We have to give well, take well, pray well. Over the next couple of chapters, actually, why don't you skip to chapter 33 while, while I'm talking here, and you'll get this. We're going to see this principle laid out in the scriptures, which is called the sandwich. Okay? This is not revelation. This is super basic uh, how to operate with other people principle. Okay? But it's something that we all really struggle to do well. And the principle is this. In a sandwich, you have bread on the outside. And bread is soft and sweet. And it tastes good. And it won't cut your mouth. It's really easy to bite into. Right? That's the sweet part. That's the beginning of the criticism. But in the middle is the meat. It's a little bit harder to chew, maybe a little bit saltier, and has a lot of the nutrients that you need in your body. But if you get the meat on the outside of the bun, it doesn't taste so good, right? So you have to do it in this order, and we're going to see that. In Job 33, verse 3, Elihu is still speaking here. He says, Job, my words come from an upright heart. My lips sincerely speak what I know. I'm speaking from my heart. The Spirit of God has made me the breath of the Almighty gives me life. I'm just, I'm just a servant of God. Answer me then if you can. Stand up and argue your case before me. I, I'm the same as you in God's sight. I'm not better than you. I too am a piece of clay. I love this verse right here. No fear of me should alarm you, nor should my hand be heavy on you. I'm not here to beat you down, man. I'm not here to scare you into agreeing with me. This is the bun of the sandwich. This is the bread. Lots of love, right? Reassuring words, comfort, a sense of safety. Listen, a lot of times we don't, 
We fail at giving criticism because we don't make the people who need to hear it feel safe. You need to do the sandwich. Verse 8, Job says, But you have heard in my hearing, you have said in my hearing, excuse me, I heard the very words. You said, I'm pure, I've done no wrong, I'm clean, I'm free of sin. Yet God has found fault with me. He considers me his enemy. He fastens my feet in shackles. He keeps close watch on all paths. Job, I tell you in this, you are not right. For God is greater than any mortal. Here's the meat. Now we got to the turkey, to the ham. This is the truth and should not be thrown away. Elihu's critique is that God is not your enemy and he has not found fault with you. And Job, you need to hear that, man. I'm sorry all this is going down. I'm sorry your friends, they're not friends at all, but dude, you kind of crossed the line. While the other guys were wrong about sin being the source of your suffering, you are also wrong that God is your enemy and you should not question God. Skip now to chapter 37. This is so cool here in 37.23 because Job points, excuse me, Elihu points Job to God. He says, the Almighty... Let me, let me tell you about God. The Almighty is, about, is beyond our reach, Job, and exalted in power. In his justice and great righteousness, he does not oppress. Therefore, people revere him. For Does he not have regard for all the wise in heart? Let me tell you about God. Job, I'm not criticizing you just so that I can prove myself to be right and you wrong, even though I'm doing it really good. Jo- he has Job's attention right now. And he's like, listen, man, what you said was wrong. Let's talk about God. I love you more than my need to be right. So at this point, now that Job's heart is open, he's listening to Elihu. He's received the criticism well because Elihu gave it so well. God takes over and God begins to speak. Super famous scripture. I encourage you to read the whole thing. I'm just going to read a little bit of it because it is a very inspiring and at the same time very fearful rebuke of Job. In chapter 38, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me, Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Where were you, Job? Who shut up the sea behind doors? And when it burst forth from the womb, when I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here's where your proud waves halt. Where were you, Job? You see this whole universe thing? Yeah, I made that. Were you there? I didn't think so. He's reminding Job, hey, I'm God. You are not. Do not question me. Now, I don't know about you, but I never want to hear God talk to me like that. (laughs) And it, it gets worse. I mean, I'm serious. It's awesome, but it's worse. There have been times in my life where I needed to be spoken to like that. But I never want to hear that. And you would think 
that if God spoke to Job like that, logically, he would probably just shut down and, and not say anything. Or he might even become more stubborn and just dig his heels in and say, you don't, forget that, man, I'm right and you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about, God, which is not a bla- good place to be, right? But that's how oftentimes we receive criticism. Like, Whatever, I'm just going to, for the sake of arguing, I'm going to win, even though I'm wrong. The reason, let me just tell you the end before I explain how we got there. The, what actually happens is that Job doesn't do any of that. It says that he repents in dust and ashes. He hears what God says. He hears God's voice and is like, oh my goodness, what was I thinking? Yeah, everything is completely falling apart in my life, but I am sorry, God. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. I'm nothing. You can do anything. I'm sorry. And that's the key. I believe because, let me draw this correlation for you. The reason that Job was able to do that in the worst part of his life after the biggest smackdown he got from God is because Elihu gave the criticism well. He set Job up to hear from God. If Elihu would not have done that well, if he didn't make him feel safe, if he didn't bring comfort and relief in his words and just beat him down and, and brought fear into the situation and his head, hand was heavy on him, then Job probably would have shut down and just be like, man, the whole world's against me. I forget you, God. I don't even want to hear you right now. But because Elihu gave that criticism well, Job's heart was open and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was able to do its work. His goodness draws us to repentance, even when it's a smackdown. And that's really the key. That's why we have to give criticism well. Not so that you can be proved right, but so that people can be in a place where they can hear from God. It's so important. He was able to hear from God. And once all that happens, God has one more thing to do. He gives an assignment to Job and he says, which is our next point, Job, I want you to go pray for your critics. All those three guys that just made your life hell for 28 chapters, I want you to go pray for them. And I'm going to skip where he says that. So we'll skip 42 verse 8, Mike. Skip to verse 10. I'm going to read this part and I'll tell you the answer before we get there. This is in your notes. When you pray well, blessings come. Give well, take well, pray well. Pray well and blessings come. In chapter 42, verse 10. After Job had prayed for his friends. Everybody say after. After. Not before. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and in his house. They comforted, consoled him uh, over the trouble the Lord brought him. Each one gave him some money. Verse 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 donkeys, and he also had seven sons and three daughters. After... He prayed for his critics. Oftentimes, this is the last thing that we want to do. Praying for our critics. Let's be honest. We don't even want to. Right? Kurt Bubna says, holding on to our desire for retribution or revenge is not an option. 
Release your accuser from your judgment. In fact, pray God's blessing upon that person. Mercy always triumphs over judgment. I know, I know there are people in this room right now because I've been one of them who wants revenge. I was wrongly criticized. And I want to get them back. You know what God says? Vengeance is mine. Not yours. He's good. He'll do a better job, by the way. I want you to consider Jesus. Jesus Christ, a man who took so much criticism that it killed him. I know a lot of you have a lot of criticism in your life, but just by the fact that you're in here and breathing means that you haven't gotten as much as Jesus because you're still alive. And the very same guy who took that, really it was the criticism that we deserve, that sent him to the cross and put nails in his hands and his feet and he died, says this to you about criticism. Matthew 5 and 10, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets and who were before you. Listen, when it comes to being criticized for serving God, it's worth it. Jesus Christ went through it to the point of death and he's telling you today, great is your reward in heaven. I know it hurts. I know it's super hard. You know how hard it was for Jesus to hang from nails on a cross? It hurts. But I guarantee you this morning, because of you, because of your life, he says, it's worth it. You were worth it. And when people criticize you for being a Christian, it's worth it. Great is your reward in heaven. You are in good company. You are in the company of Jesus Christ. You are in the company of the prophets before him. You are in the company of all these people with you. So, to summarize, criticism is necessary and it's necessary. Still doesn't work. Criticism is necessary and messy. How's that translation work? Necessary. <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? Is this I'm sorry? But we can do it well. Give well. Take well. Pray well. We must give it well with comfort and encouragement. We must take it well by sorting out what's true and applying it to our life. You've got to consider the source. And we must, we must pray for our critics. Forgive them as you've been forgiven. And I'm telling you, the blessing of God will be on your life just like he blessed Job's life. It's the hardest thing to do. But we can give well, take well, and we can pray well. So I encourage you to do that today, amen? I want to take just a a moment um, for a personal note to speak to my church as your worship pastor. Um, I want to make myself available to you. I know there are a lot of people in our church and there's one worship pastor and there's one senior pastor, but I want to make myself available to you because I know that, that people have some concerns about how we do things in our church. Maybe you have questions about why do we do this and not do this, vice versa, you know, I, or I have an idea. Um, if you stopped doing that, it might be better. 
And I want to make myself available to you to hear that. I would love to hear those ideas. And it's really hard because there's a lot of people. But um, I just want you to know that the door is open. And more importantly than that, if there's anything I've ever done to offend you, I want to sit down with you and talk to you and tell you I love you. And I mean that. And I, I, I'm not sure what that might have been, but I'm not, like I said, I'm a very flawed person. And... Uh, I'm not above offending people. And so I, I, I want to tell you right now, if that's the case, I'm sorry. And I do love you. I love you very much. And I'm very humbled that God would choose me to lead you in worship. You know, it's just it's one of the most overwhelming blessings in my life. And you are very important to me as, as my church. You guys are my church. Um, so I want to make myself available to you. If there's anything that you want to talk about, I'm here. Let me ask you this, though. If, if, that, if you're like, oh, cool, I got something I got to say, um, I would ask that you try to do it in, in an appropriate way. Try to make an appointment with me uh, so we can get together during the week and sit down and talk. Um, please don't do it, like, between services or before a service because it's just not enough time to give you the attention that you deserve and to be heard. Um, I would love to open up scriptures with you and pray with you and, uh, and talk through that with time, okay? And, and also, if you could, sometimes people do this, which is fine, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Sometimes people just show up at church like during the week and knock on the door, and I'm, I'm not always there. I'm, I'm in so many meetings that I might not be in my office, and I don't want to waste your time. So shoot me an email. Give me a call at the church. Let's make an appointment. Hey, it's so-and-so, and I was at the church on Sunday. I had some questions about this. When can we get together? And I would love to do that. And I'm committed to do that. Even if it takes the next six months to meet with everybody who has a concern, I'm committed to do that. I really pray in Jesus' name there's not that many people. But (laughs) you know what? I got nothing but time. I'm not going anywhere. God's called me to this church, and uh, and I would love to pastor you. That's one of the ways we can do it. I ask you this. Please be prepared to give your criticism well. I'll be prepared to take it well. And we'll work, we'll work through it. Maybe messy, but we'll work through it. So I just want to take that little moment and, and offer that to you. I'm available for you as your worship pastor. Um, all right. Thank you so much for listening today. You guys are just awesome. I, I do love you. Why don't we all stand up? And I'm going to ask all our prayer partners to come up to the front. Just go ahead right now while I'm talking. Um, we want to offer an opportunity for you to be prayed for. I know that this topic is necessary. And it's... It probably hit a nerve. Maybe you're in a marriage where you feel like you can't give criticism to your husband or your wife because it just blows up and an explosion is coming. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to bring that to Jesus for you. Maybe, you, maybe you're that person who just can't take it. You're just, I'm sorry, I'm sensitive and I can't take criticism. I need help. Join the family. We would love to pray with you. We're going to point you to Jesus. And maybe, most likely, there's a lot of people in here who are holding revenge in your heart. And you don't even know the first word to say to pray for your critics. We would love to help you in that. Just come and say, I need to pray for my critics. Please help me. I don't know what to say. We'd love to do that for you today. So I'm going to pray a blessing and we'll dismiss. And for those of you who need that help from Jesus, you can just come on up. Let's pray. God, you're so good. Nothing is impossible with you. We believe that you died, you rose again, and you can resurrect relationships. You can help us do criticism well, God. We pray for our critics right now, God. Bless them. We pray for our enemies. Bless them. God, break through in our enemy's life and do it right now, we pray. In Jesus' name, all who agree, say amen.
Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.